I watched Children of Eve from 1915. It's easy to dismiss most of the directors not named D.W. Griffith, who were making films in 1915, and for the most part it can be understandable if you do that, but there were a handful of directors who were doing more than churning out what I guess now they would call content, but films at that point. And Cecil B. DeMille would be one of those big names. He was finding his footing in 1915. There was Maurice Tourneur, Raoul Walsh, Raymond West. Those are the big names, at least, that I came into this project excited about and who I expected to see great movies from. But there was a name that I was completely unfamiliar with, and that's John H. Collins. But after watching Children of Eve, I'm ready to add him to that short list right up there with Griffith and DeMille of the early greats. I'm going to see a few more of his films as I make my way through the chronology, and I'm really curious to see if they're as good as this one. He directed 15 short films in 1914 and 1915 before switching to feature-length films. Children of Eve was the sixth and final feature-length film he directed in 1915. And from what I can tell, I try whenever possible to look up reviews. Uh, It was positively received by critics at the time. And his work generally seems to have been praised. Everything I read about him was positive. And I think if he had gone on to a longer career, I have no doubt that he'd be better known today. He'd certainly be considered up there with those guys I mentioned. But sadly, he died in the influenza outbreak of 1919, and he left behind only a very small body of surviving work. I'm totally convinced that had he lived on and continued to make movies, his name would be held in the same regard as those other star directors I mentioned before. Collins worked for the Edison Company, which probably has not helped his legacy. Everything I've read suggests that Edison was known for churning out average films at a quick pace to feed a growing market for film, and was a company wholly focused on the bottom line. From what I've seen of the Edison films, this is true. Based on what I've watched, the Edison 1915 one-reelers are practically indifferentable from the ones they put out in 1910, 1911, which makes Collins's work that much more noteworthy to me. Children of Eve is the exception to the Edison formula. It stars Viola Dana, to whom director Collins had been married earlier that year, as 50-50 Mamie, so named because she always splits the money she makes in dance contests 50-50 with her partner. But before we meet her, we meet her mother, Flossie, who was a prostitute from New York's east side. She became friends with Henry, a clerk who lived in a neighboring apartment, and he encouraged her to reform her life. She did that, they fell in love, but she eventually left him because she felt like she'd only be this negative influence on his life, that her low standing would be a burden and prevent him from achieving what he could. She doesn't let him know she's pregnant, and so she ends up having the baby and dying shortly thereafter, leaving her young daughter Mamie with nothing but a picture that she can use to remember her mother. The basic plot of this movie is very similar to what I saw in Rags, but there's an extra layer here provided by this film's message about labor reform. Like Rags and a number of other films I've seen, Children of Eve relies heavily on some pretty unlikely coincidences to push the plot forward. 
Apparently, audiences at the time were more forgiving of such plot contrivances. Although even as I say that, I realize a lot of modern films also rely on coincidence as a primary plot device. They just disguise it a little better. It's much more transparent in these old films. Anyway, we pick up the story 17 years after Flossie's death. Mamie is now 50-50 Mamie, a party girl, going out dancing with her main squeeze, Bernie the Tip, who's, besides being a great dancer, is also a low-level criminal. We catch up with Henry, who never recovered from Flossie abandoning him, and he's turned from being this kind-hearted man who was trying to reform Flossie into a greedy industrialist. He now owns factories, and he's got child labor going on. He's not a good guy anymore. And one of the coincidences I mentioned is typical for the era is when Mamie encounters Henry's nephew, Bert, who prevents her from being arrested for shoplifting. She steals something and ducks into his office to hide from the cops. He takes a liking to her and he convinces her to give up her wanton lifestyle and find religion. So she starts hanging out at the settlement house where Bert volunteers and he starts introducing her to this new, more fulfilling lifestyle. At one point, he gets sick. He catches something at the settlement house. And Mamie tries to go visit him at home, but Henry intercepts her, recognizes her as being a low-class woman, and he sends her away, telling her to forget about Bert, and he explains how her low societal position is going to be nothing but a burden on Bert. It's pretty much the same thing Flossie had told him before, only he's become so hardened by the world that before he was sad about it and thought it was bad. Now he thinks it's good advice. Bert and some of his activist friends have recruited Mamie. They want her to help their crusade for social justice by going undercover as a factory worker to help expose the terrible conditions there. So she goes to work in one of Henry's canning factories where he's got children working for him. There's no fire escape. There's just one little narrow staircase. Naturally, in another coincidence, during her day there as a worker, the cannery catches fire. Many children die and Mamie is badly injured. The fire was based on a real-life event of the era when some kids died in a factory fire. And Collins pulls no punches in depicting it. We see many dead children lined up in the aftermath. And in addition to that stark realism, it is a really well-filmed and brilliantly edited sequence. Like, he really... It's a powerful, exciting, scary fire sequence. He, he did a really great job with it. Now we see Mamie at home dying, and Henry visits her, still unaware of who she really is. As far as he knows, she's just this gutter snipe who was unfortunate enough to die in one of his factories, and he's reluctant to even have his doctor help her. But then he sees the picture of Flossie on her desk, and suddenly everything becomes clear to him, and he understands Mamie's his daughter. Now he implores the doctor to help her, but the doctor rebuffs him, saying that he's already helping. It's not that like money can't change anything. It's not like he was waiting for money. It's just, it's too late. Mamie asks to see Bert one last time. He arrives just in time to see her die. And Henry, he's crushed by everything that has happened. And at last, his eyes are open to what he's become. He remembers who he used to be. He sees Bert. And he resolves to change his ways to join Bert in the fight for the welfare of workers and to do his part to put an end to child slavery. If this sounds like it's a grim and sometimes heavy-handed movie, it sometimes is, but it's still a very powerful piece of filmmaking. 
by a director who's been long forgotten by most people. So if this is anything indicative of what he could do, I'm, I've got three more films by John H. Collins on my list, and I am definitely looking forward to when those pop up because I feel like this guy is a forgotten great, and so he needs someone to champion his cause. So me on my tiny little podcast with all however many people are actually listening to this, well, let's do our part. Let's get the name of John H. Collins out there. Next, I'm watching A Night in the Show, 1915, directed by Charles Chaplin. 